What got you there with got you got you What got you there with Shonda Laney got you there with Shonda Laney What got you there with Shonda Laney got you there with Shonda Laney What got you there with Shonda Laney Today on What Got You There Sean talks with Dr. Fergus Connolly who was the recent performance director for the University of Michigan football program Prior to joining UM, Connolly spent two seasons with the San Francisco 49ers as the director of Elite Performance. He has also worked as a performance consultant for the Jacksonville Jaguars, Cleveland Browns, New York Knicks, and multiple English Premier League Australian rules and professional rugby teams. Dr. Connolly and Sean talk all about human performance and understanding more of what it takes to be an elite level athlete. If you enjoyed this episode, please head over to iTunes and give the podcast a review along with a five-star rating. One of the newest sponsors of the podcast and one of my favorite brands right now is Viore Clothing. Viore is the perfect performance apparel for anyone who loves yoga, surfing, hiking, being active, or in the weight room. They combine innovative fabrics with cool finishes that really feel good and are great for the environment. I would head over to vioriclothing.com. That's V-U-O-R-I clothing.com to receive 25% off. Yes, that's 25% off your first order. Use discount code WGYT. And if at any point you're not satisfied with the purchase, send it back. That's 25% off your order with 100% satisfaction guaranteed at vioriclothing.com. If you're like me and love to travel, then listen up. Are you looking to get outside your comfort zone in 2018? Are you tired of the monotony of your nine to five job with no adventure? Do you want to connect with new people on Epic Adventures? If so, then Globekick is what you're looking for. Globekick is redefining travel for the millennial generation. Globekick knows that memorable travel is built on the quality of the experience you have and the people you connect with along the way. That's why their members can choose from curated travel experiences throughout the year with like-minded people. Unlike other travel providers, Globekick members get to know each other through a private social network before choosing when and where they travel together. In 2018, they've teamed up with partners around the world to feature a Sahara Desert camping trip out of Morocco in May, a boating journey through the Sandblast Islands in the Caribbean in August, and a volunteering trip to an elephant sanctuary outside of Cambodia in December. If you want to travel the world with your kind of people and not break the bank, then head to globekick.com and enter WGYT to receive 10% off your membership. That's globekick.com and enter code WGYT to receive 10% off your membership. Dr. Fergus Connolly, thanks for joining us today. How are you making out? <laughs> good, good, good. Drop the doctor. Yeah. <laughs> Fergus work best? Yeah, Fergus is perfect. Yes. Perfect. <laughs> so based on that accent, where are you from? Brooklyn, New York? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, Boston, the second capital of Ireland. No, I'm, I'm, yeah, no, I'm, I'm Irish originally. I try and speak slow because we uh, have a tendency to speak fast and people go, hey, what, what do you say? Um, but uh, yeah, no, I've been here in the States almost five years now. Um, and uh, But before that, I, I did quite a bit of work in the U.S. as well. But um, in Ann Arbor, Michigan, sunny Ann Arbor, Michigan. Today. Yeah. So, what initially brought you over to the states? Um, well, originally, well, my parents got married here in New York years ago, and and they moved home. I was raised in uh, raised in Ireland, but then over the last fifteen years, I've done quite a bit of consulting for uh, different football teams, basketball teams. Um, and then ended up, uh, 
being offered a job with the San Francisco 49ers almost over five years ago. And that's what took me here full time originally. Um, I had had other opportunities before that, but uh, the Niners was the was the one that was most uh, suited me best at, at the time. And uh, that's what took me here full time. So and, what about uh, that 49ers position most suited you? I think at the time, I think sports science was a, a real buzzword and, you know, the high performance model in sport um, was was really exciting for a lot of teams and organizations. And there's still a lot of confusion about it, I guess, but um, it was at an interesting time. And there were no people, I guess, in the, in the U.S. or no experts who had experience of both football, the high performance model and how to develop it and how to integrate it. Um, and, uh, that's why, that's why they came, came to me. And then, I mean, you transitioned to university of Michigan. Was there a big difference between the 49ers, obviously an NFL organization, and then going to one of the top division one football schools? Um, yes. And yes. And no, uh, there, there is in the sense that, um, you know, the NFL model is a, is a franchise model. And this is really interesting because I think, um, you know, people who don't work in, in, in those areas don't appreciate the, you know, the, the similarities and the differences. Of course, the sport is essentially the same, but in, in the NFL, you know, it's a franchise model where the player is his own entity as well. He's his own business and he has to look after himself. There are no guaranteed contracts. So there's no obligation to by the organization really to look after the player's long-term health or welfare in many cases. Whereas in the university setting, you know, there's more and more money um, being involved now. And it's really about recruiting and there's less and less time for development. In fact, across all of the professional sports, there's less and less time for player development. Um, and it's really about recruiting or selling the universities, um, you know, to the, to, to young kids. And, and that's actually getting, getting younger and younger. So there are a lot of similarities on the, on the surface, but a, a lot of differences, um, uh, the deeper you go and the, and the deeper you get involved in it. I mean, you mentioned those individual athletes and a lot of the listeners here that they want to understand greatness and understand how to really excel at the next level, whether that's in the boardroom or whether that's on the athletic field. So can we talk about what elements really make up a great athlete? Yeah, you, you, you're you hundred percent right. The similar, they're, you know, they're the same thing and the same challenge, whether you are in the boardroom or you're on the, on the field. And I think that when you ask that question, the very first thing that you need to consider is the pathway. So where are you starting from and where do you want to get to? And, um, and, and that's important because to use a, a phrase that we use in Europe, you don't want soon ripe and soon rotten. You don't want to, you know, to, to, uh, rush up the ladder very quickly in either the corporate area or in sport. And then all of a sudden struggle to, to stay at that level and to fall very quickly. So, Understanding where you are at, developing a pathway, um, and getting there um, in a manner that brings you sustained success is critical. So, if you look at organizations like, um, you know, well, one of the obvious ones are the Patriots. It's not about winning one Super Bowl. It's about repeatedly competing and, and dominating in a in a sustained, successful manner. And to do that, um, you know, you have to have. Um, you know, you, you have to understand that um, you have to be knowledgeable, you have to trust in people, um, you have to focus on quality, 
um, you have to look after people. You have to understand that um, your organization is not just about that one person, but it's about the support system around them. Whether in the in the boardroom, it's about the support staff on the field. It's also about the support staff and it's about the family. Um, but in terms of your own, in terms of the characteristics, you know, humility is the single most important one. Um, you have to be humble. You have to be be hungry. You want you need to want to to uh, go through those stages, and and you need to be very honest with yourself and with with everybody around you to be successful. I mean, you talk about the success of the organization and how vital it is for everyone to be working together. I mean, that's got to be incredibly difficult for you. I mean, when you think of a lot of top athletic programs such as University of Michigan. I mean, you got your strength coach, you got your head coach, you have the athletic support staff, the trainers. How do you guys all coexist and work together to accomplish that one common goal? That's the single greatest challenge. And, and it, it um, in any organization, the, you, what people talk about, they refer to it as cohesion, where there is a single unified goal. And one of the, the, the first people to really make this clear to me was a, as a Portuguese professor, Vitor Frade, who has coached and prepared some of the, the smartest soccer coaches. But in terms of the organization, there has to be, you know, a clear purpose or a clear cohesive, uh, message for everybody to understand so that they can all row in the same direction. The biggest challenge that you find in most organizations today is that there are just far too many people doing very, very small tasks. The best organizations that I've been around are lean, have good quality people who can get a lot done, um, but they, they have trimmed away the fat. And that allows a, a very simple, clear, cohesive message. Um, you know, uh, somebody I worked with once used to use the phrase, you know, we all do windows. In other <laughs> words, we, we all, we all, we will all do the small tasks because what ends up happening is that you've just got far too many people involved, far too many uh, egos involved, far too many people to communicate with, and the organization becomes un unwieldy and it becomes difficult to, to manage. Whereas when you've got fewer people, there's more accountability, uh, there's greater responsibility, there's a greater clarity of, of uh, communication, and you, you're far more effective and efficient uh, when it comes to achieving, to achieving your goals. But again, that the 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 the, fund of the two most critical things to that, in terms of the character of the people, are being humble and being honest, uh, because people must be humble enough to do all the, the the small tasks, humble enough to explain that you know I'm having trouble with this, I need help with it, uh, and honest enough to have those those conversations. You mentioned being humble and being honest. When you come into a new team, first time seeing an athlete, do you have a pretty good idea if you'll be able to work with this athlete and really help him get to the next level or if he's someone who's not going to change much? <laughs> I can work with anybody. Yeah. <laughs> I, can work, I, I can work with anybody. But, but you're, you're, it's a really, really good question because young people starting out in the industry, and I would have, you know, 15, 20 years ago, that's a question I would have asked myself, you know, do, uh, or would have the phrase would have been, "Oh, I can't work with that guy." Or, but what you learn very quickly from good coaches is you you have to work with everybody, and the challenge is that you need to understand where that person is coming from. So, many years ago, I studied NLP, neuro neuro linguistic programming, 
as a as a method, and there are many methods, but a method to understand the other person. So when when you when you go to an organization or you go to a team, your mindset has to be that whatever the relationship or the initial relationship is, it doesn't matter what you think. You need to understand where that person is coming from. So if they're uh, if they appear rude to you or standoffish to you at the start, your job is to figure out what's what they're why they're thinking like that. That's not that's not their problem. It's your problem. You got to fix it. You got to figure out. So if you go to a locker room and you know somebody's perhaps skeptical of you, you need to to build that relationship. Uh, you need to to understand where they're coming from, um, and so that you can open up that communication and. Everybody has, you know, either an insecurity or an issue that, that they're trying to deal with. But it's your problem. You gotta you gotta understand where they're coming from, be able to communicate with them. I mean, does that have a lot to do with developing their own confidence? And and if so, how do you develop your own confidence? I mean, obviously you've been in this industry for a long time. How'd you first get involved in it and how'd you really kind of set yourself up to succeed in it? Uh I think I think it comes with so, so I'm 40 now, but when I was starting out um, 20 years ago, you know, I'm, I'm 40 now and there's so many things I don't know. I had all the answers 20 years ago. <laughs> um, I knew, I, I, I had no questions, but, and that was, the, that's part of the problem is that when you start out, you think that you have all the answers so that when you, um, but very, very quickly working in sport, you, you, if you're self-aware and, and um, on your journey, you realize actually how little you don't know. And that breeds um, wonderful self-awareness, great humility. And so when you start to work with other players, you realize that they have the same insecurities as you have, and you have to build build their confidence and you have to help uh, them understand um, that they can achieve great things. And one of the one of the problems that we have in sport today is that we we chase, particularly in, you know, when you're recruiting athletes, you're, you're sending, you know, tweets and messages and whatever to these young kids who are 14, 15, 16, based on their football ability. And you, you know, you sell the university and you sell yourself and you do all these crazy things to get the kid to commit to the university based on their football. So the, you've, you bring in these very, very young kids, but their personal life is the one that is most important because that is what's going to sustain them for the rest of their lives. So understanding the person before the athlete is critical to building someone's confidence, understanding where their insecurities might be. You know, are they scared in big groups? They're coming to a a new town. And it even happens at the NFL level because you've got guys who are coming straight out of college into this um, chaotic environment um, where they've been given a lot of money, a lot of responsibility, and they don't know how to handle it. So th- the real message is is really is it's about the person first and helping and understanding where the person is coming from and building their their confidence in in that manner. So because those are the things that are far more important than the sport. So I mean, when you have a new athlete come in, then you're going to adapt more to them, correct? Than they completely changing who they are when they get to your system? Absolutely, because gotcha. you can't, you, you, you can't, and, and you can't be so arrogant as to assume that you can change someone. You need to understand where they're coming from. And it's, it's really somewhat like a translator. You're just helping them 
understand the new environment that they're coming to, understand the new the way that you're going to do things differently. Uh, nothing is wrong. You know, the way that they did things before, whether it's training practice or whatever, or where they came from, nothing is wrong. This is just a new environment. And this is what, this is how we do things here. And the, the better that you understand some, the person, the better you can help build, you know, a sustainable, dominant athlete and person who, you know, can do great things in their life and on the field or court. No, very interesting. And I'm sure some of the listeners are wondering, I mean, your titles, I mean, performance director, University of Michigan football. I mean, prior to that, you were the director of elite performance for the 49ers. You've worked with a ton of different teams. So what exactly do those titles encompass for you? (laughs) It seems like you must be responsible for a ton of things for these organizations. Yeah, well, you know, the the title, um, one of the the special forces groups that I was fortunate to work with um, you know, they, they very early on, like, you I mean, they, they don't use titles and titles mean very little, um, when, when it really matters at the end of the day, somebody has to put water on the bus. If you're going for a 40 minute drive, you need water on the bus for the team. So you just need to get it done. But where, where that started was I was primarily interested in making athletes better, making, you know, winning games. And I would go, I would look around and it seemed to be the strength coach. So you go and you study and you train to become a strength coach. And then you realize that, hang on a second, there's a little bit more to winning games than just strength and speed because I've got some of the strongest athletes, you know, I've built really strong athletes, but we're not winning games. Then you start to understand, well, hang on a second. It's about psychology. So you go and you study under psychologists and you realize, okay, well, it's not okay. So we're really strong. We're really confident, but now there's a tactical element. So I would I went on a, this long journey. I'm still on it, going to biomechanists, psychologists, nutritionists, supplement experts, um, neuroscientists, uh, culture experts, trying to understand essentially and building a model of how to win, how to win in team sports. And that was why I wrote Game Changer was there is no book out there as I was coming through that pulled everything together, the culture the understanding a a game plan, a game model, strength, speed, all of these different things. And the answer really is that there's not one of them that is more important than the other. They're all important. So in order to understand that, that's why you have to understand performance. And, you know, the most common title, I guess, that that I've had is performance director or uh, director of performance. In reality, you know, even that, even my opinion on that has changed. My role really is a performance facilitator. My role is to help organizations to facilitate others in the organization do their job better. It's to serve them, not really to manage them. That's what I've seen in in the best organizations. It's really about service um, and about helping these other people in these other areas do their job best. I mean, you mentioned earlier in this talk, I mean, these things, they translate from the business meeting to the football field. So say we're talking to the audience who are in those business meetings. Are, are there certain things they can start implementing that they probably aren't right now that can really help them excel? Um, yeah, absolutely. And I I, am, I think we mentioned this before. I'm just I'm working on, a, on another project, which are essentially translating those lessons from, from sport and military to, to business. And they're the the most important thing when the corporate environment is trying to learn from sport or trying to learn 
from the military or from the medical community or any of these other high-performing um, uh, areas, domains, are to ask, to write down three words, why, 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 and ignore the technique, ignore the story, ignore the, the funny anecdote, and drill deep down into finding the principle behind um, why the organization, that other successful organization, do things. So, for example, if you take the, the if you take the Patriots, they have one of the smallest backroom staffs there is there is available. But why is that? It doesn't mean that you just get rid of people. You try. You need to understand why. Well, it improves communication. People are responsible for a little bit more. Um, you've got a, a, a tighter team. So when you drill down and ask why, why, why and get to the principle behind it, then you can start to apply the principle to your organization. It's never really about the technique. And this is where, you know, even in sport, you get copycat organizations who see a team do something, copy the technique without asking why and without really trying to understand the principle behind things. And in the corporate world, there are so many, so many things that can be learned uh, from sport and from military. I mean, you keep bringing up the New England Patriots. What about them do you respect so much? I think it's um, well, there. Are, there are a number of organizations like even Manchester United under Alex Ferguson or these other organizations, and they share the same thing. They share a commitment to sustained success, and that is the most important. That is the most difficult thing to do because your challenge, the great every morning when you wake up, your challenge is to avoid complacency. And that's where, and, and to avoid complacency, you must be humble. Um, you must, uh, and, that, and that's what's most admirable about those organizations. Um, you can take, you can go to any university, any university football program, you can go to any uh, you know, professional organization and push them really, really hard for one year or two years and make a difference. You see it time and time again. Big name comes in, spends a lot of money, makes a lot of changes, pushes the team really hard. Everybody speaks positively, and there's a sudden improvement. But sustained success is far more difficult because it must be built on character, it must be built on honesty, humility, and it must it must become self-perpetuating. It's a very difficult thing to do. And that's why, you know, even GE or these other big organizations in the corporate world, that's what's most admirable about them. They have a, a solid culture and their focus is not on instant success. It's on sustained success. And that should be every organization's goal. Build a solid foundation on character, on good people, and build this, this really... Um, powerful, dominating uh, organization, like I said, whose focus is sustained success, not just one-off. I mean, you mentioned some legendary coaches throughout our talk so far. So, I mean, obviously you've been fortunate to work with some, some coaches who've just done some remarkable things. What little things that you haven't mentioned so far do these coaches do on a consistent basis with the group they've put around themselves to really make sure they're getting the most out of their guys? The uh, the best coach that I've ever been around, no, you've never heard his name. Um, he's a guy called Biff Poggi. He is the he's a head coach at uh, St. Francis Academy in Baltimore. Uh, the school is straight across from from the prison in Baltimore. It's the poorest one of the poorest schools I've ever been around. 
Um, and that school was ranked number two or number three in the country last year. Um, he took a school that has, you know, uh, maybe eight or nine kids who are homeless, maybe twice that number who have lost siblings to gun violence. And he built a, a football team that play for each other, love each other, who have coaches that look after one another. And, um, you know, it's a fabulous story. And the, the reason that they are successful is that honesty and love for each other, that commitment to each other. Those are the organizations that are inspiring um, because the other organizations that have a lot of money or a lot of resources, you know, should be successful. But when you can take a school like that filmed, you know, anybody who's seen The Wire knows exactly the kind of environment I'm talking about. And to take a school, take a school team like that, and to be the second or third best school, best high school football team in the country, that's a phenomenal success. That's special. Yeah. I mean, I haven't heard of Biff before, but definitely going to check out his story now that you mentioned that. And I mean, you, you've mentioned football athletes a lot. You've worked with a ton of different teams in different sports. Which athletes do you think right now are the best on the planet? <laughs> you know, it's, it's funny. I get asked that a lot. So I've been really fortunate being around, um, you know, like Vernon Davis, for example, is an incredible athlete. Uh, I was, my very first job in soccer was with, um, this guy, uh, Nicholas Anelka, who, you know, he could almost make a soccer ball talk. Um, <laughs> I got, I got, I got to work with Steven Gerrard at Liverpool or Jimmy Carr, um, in, in football, like Jabril Peppers. Uh, now at the Browns, who had been at uh, at Michigan, is just an incredible athlete again. But the ones that I really remember are the hardest working uh, ones. The uh, the ones that, um, like for example, I still I still have a mental image of driving into the 49ers every morning, and you know, Colin Kaepernick's car was the first one in the parking lot every single morning. I still remember Frank Gore um, coming on off days looking for the strength coach to do extra work with him. Uh, I remember him badgering me to make his own post-workout shake personally. It's those guys, it's the Justin Smiths, uh, even the Blaine Gabberts. The, it's the hardworking ones are the ones that I remember um, because people see many of these players on the field uh, on Saturday or Sunday, and they don't know the backstory. Perhaps they don't know maybe the injury that they were struggling with because nobody plays a hundred percent healthy. Everybody is something they don't know. Perhaps, um, you know, a bereavement that's been in the family that they, that they've overcome, um, the talented ones, the, the, the physically gifted ones, um, are always impressive. But the, the, the hardworking ones who are in early in the morning and leave late at night, those are the ones you remember. Yeah, it's always great working with an organization and, and getting to see those guys and the little things they do that yes. the outsiders yeah. don't get to see. But I mean, you kind of mentioned some of those freaks in nature. And I've, yeah. just been, I've been obsessed with that ever since I was a kid and, and seeing some of these guys that are just ridiculous in the weight room. So is there anyone that you've worked with over the years that you're like, this is without a doubt the biggest freak of nature athletically I've ever seen? Um, Vernon Davis was just, uh, Patrick Willis, Vernon Davis, uh, Navarro Bowman, like, um, Patrick Willis was just, uh, really, really, really impressive. <laughs> he was incredible. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Re really impressive. Um, yeah, yeah. Pretty, pretty special actually. Um, just, uh, a wonderful combination of, uh, speed and, and power. Um, and 
you know, like, like many of those guys as well, what, you know, what you see on the field couldn't be any more different from off the field, just in terms of being, you know, like you'd meet him and he, he's just laughing and joking in a really friendly way, um, with, with everybody, all of the staff, but yet on the field it was just, you know, knocking guys out for fun. <laughs> Literally. I mean, some, some of the cool things we've seen over the past few years in terms of science and technology and sports, I mean, with elite level tracking, things like that. So on these top level athletes, what's actually being tracked right now? What are you guys looking at? You know, you can do anything like, I mean, so I've, I was really fortunate to come into the industry at the, t- at the, at a time when it was just starting out. And with the organizations I was with, we tracked, you know, GPS where we measured literally every every movement that they did physically, speeds, contacts, the amount of time they spent on the ground. We, I did a lot of uh, biochemical testing, looking at different uh, um, uh, blood markers, biomarkers, uh, heart rate variability, where we would do an EKG or an ECG every single morning on players and look for changes in that, combined with EEG, looking at brain waves. And I was really fortunate early on in my career to do all of those things. And that's why when organizations come to me, it's really to, to ask the question, what should we do, not what can we do? And that's, so the biggest mistake I think that a lot of teams make at the minute is they try and do as much as possible because they're not quite sure what's effective. Um, and it's back to that old saying that if, you know, if the only tool you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. So you try and do as much as possible. Um, the, the, the most I've always found that the, the the single most important thing to measure in a player is something as simple as their body weight. And the reason for that is that uh, you can learn so much through just asking a guy to weigh in regularly each morning. Um, you get that opportunity to, to stand and talk to them. You look them straight in their eye. You know whether they've been out partying the night before. If their body weight is fluctuating wildly, that is the best indicator of a poor lifestyle. So guys who are, who, you know, who are, uh, married and who've got stable home lives tend to, their body weight doesn't change that much actually from day to day. Whereas the young kids coming in, it's up and down wildly. Uh, you get to interact with, with the guy and we would also measure bio impedance with, on our scale. So our scales would, you know, the, the Tanita body fat scale, we would just check bio impedance. So we would check the resistance, uh, in, in the body and just use that as a comparison because sometimes, Players' body weight stays, same, stays stable, but the bioimpedance measure changes wildly. And what that indicates is that the player has been is dehydrated or is hydrated, overhydrated too much, and this just another piece of information. So, really, your goal should be to get as much as information as is useful from as few measurements as is net as are necessary from your players because the focus has to be on performance. The focus is not on testing or sports science. Interesting how you pulled something so simple that so many people can do and people would automatically overlook that. And so what about what about just your traditional person who's who's out there, has a normal job, they're not playing in the NFL, but they're hearing these different things like heart rate variability. They want to be able to perform better both in their life. Is there any new technology like that you think that this actually does uh, show a pretty good benefit? Yeah, heart heart rate variability is is the most is if if there was only one measurement that I could do or that I was allowed to do, I would use heart rate variability. And it's an incredibly old 
um, approach has been used in Chinese medicine, um, you know, centuries ago. It's this is not something new. You know, some people say, well, it's been we've only found out about it recently. Well, no, we we and somebody's asked so well that came about through the Soviet, you know, um, space program. Actually, no, it's been used by Chinese philosophers in, in Chinese medicine uh, for centuries. Um, and if you if anybody's really interested in it, um, look look for. Um, study the area of pulse diagnosis, not heart rate variability, but pulse diagnosis. That was the origin for it uh, in the East. And, you know, there was, there was a Chinese philosopher, Wang Shu, who wrote a book called The 32 Scrolls. But his, um, you know, he had a very famous quote that if your heartbeat is as regular uh, as rain on a tin roof, uh, you are within three days of death. This is centuries BC. You have guys who were studying heart rate variability, as we call it now. But what they understood better than many of us do now is they understood the implications um, uh, and understood how to use it and manipulate it. So they would have warned people away from fried food uh, and from poor dietary uh, habits, you know, at that stage. And so it's when you decide that you're going to measure something, whether it's with a Fitbit or heart rate variability, always ask yourself the question, what am I going to do with the information? Um, and this is where many of those technologies fail. So when you have the information, what does it mean and how can I, what's the deliverable? What's the, what is the action that I'm going to take based on this? Always getting back to what's your why. Uh, with the HRV though, are there any specific products out there that you like or would recommend that really give great results? Um, the, the, the easiest one to use is, uh, is like, like, for example, iFleet, but all of the, many of the, the conventional products that you have that give you a measurement now are quite good. So there isn't one that is necessarily better. It's more important that you use the same standard and you repeat it at the same, at the same time. So it's like that saying that even a, um, you know, even a broken clock is, is right twice a day. Um, if you, if you measure at the same time, uh, every, every, every day and you use the same method, um, that standardizes it. And then you're, what you're really looking at is you're looking at variations individual to you. Because one of the biggest mistakes that we make is that we try and use averages among different people or we use big data. So we look at the average, you know, you see it in sports teams a lot where they look at the average distance run by position group. Well, hang on a second. You've got one guy's 38, the other guy's 24, another guy's, you know, so measure these things specific to you and become educated in, in your own metrics. I mean, one thing I'm blown away about, they're paying millions and millions of dollars at these professional organizations. And I am blown away by how unhealthy a lot of the foods these athletes are consuming. Is that something you've seen? Oh, absolutely. But I, I think, and I, I don't want to be overly critical, but it, it's, if you go to Europe and you went to a European soccer club or you went to any European sporting organization, the, the, the foods that are available, there is a far, far greater percentage of non-processed foods available uh, just culturally. It's a cultural thing. Um, the other thing is that many of the, the athletes that you, you know, that are recruited into the organizations or many of the athletes that end up in professional organizations don't come from a very wealthy socioeconomic background. So it's a big change for them to be exposed to, you know, to other types of foods. So 
Um, and also many of the coaches are the same. They're not, they don't appreciate or understand the value of, uh, non-fried foods or non-processed foods. So that's one of the biggest things, one of the biggest changes that, that, that I will always try and influence is slowly changing the culture and of the foods available because in Many sporting organizations, coaches are going to be the last ones to change. They may change their schedule. They may change some things. But you can have a far greater impact by affecting the culture of what I call the 22 hours, changing the culture outside of practice, outside of training. Uh, and you can do that by changing the foods that are available, subtly starting to change their taste, trying to inform and educate the players. That has a far greater impact. So you can suddenly slash body fat. You can suddenly start to reduce the amount of cramping. You can uh, improve the mood in the organization, uh, reduce fatigue just by making subtle changes in the in the culture and in the foods that are available to, to, to your athletes and to your staff as well. I mean, do you have any thoughts or controversial ideas that you like to implement with your teams, your athletes that maybe there's not much science behind it, but you've just seen it work really well and you've received results from? Um, not really. I think, you know, th there always has to be a scientific basis. You would, you know, it's, it's like, um, it, it, you know, it's, it's like in medicine first do no harm. Your goal is to first of all, have a scientific basis for everything you do, but you know, you don't need science re you know, you don't need a scientific study to tell kids that eating, uh, you know, green vegetables is good for you. You know, you, you might need to find it to, to help, you know, suggest that subclinical acidosis is, a, is, a, is an issue. You know, if you eat an excessive amount of processed foods, um, there are certain things that you're, you're missing out on. But um, the changes that have the biggest impact in most organizations are the ones that are most common sense. Um, but also, in many cases, coaches just don't know what they don't know. Like for example, um, one well-known athlete who I, who I won't name, but I've named earlier in a different, uh, answering a different question, had a huge issue with cramping. And when I would go there, one of the coaches would feed the player the night before, feed him bread, because this stopped cramping or thought that this stopped cramping. Well, all that, that I did was change his diet and give him a green shake, uh, a smoothie, green smoothie, uh, each day, just make sure it was made for him, especially just, and he didn't like it at the start, but he slowly suddenly realized that eating foods that were rich in magnesium, potassium, um, suddenly reduced his incident, uh, his incidence of cramping. Um, so again, it's just making coaches and players aware of this is, this actually works. And if you need the science, you have to have the science to prove it, um, you know, to, to help educate and, and, uh, and help improve performance. I mean, I know there's no magic pill, but is there a consistent supplement you see across most of the organizations that really do give and provide added benefits for the athlete? Um, not like, I mean, there are no real, real magic ones. There are supplements that help. And again, it always depends on on the situation, like I mean, obviously protein powder is widely used, fish oil. Um, but then after after that, you're looking at supplements such as probiotics. But the reason that, for example, that we need more protein powder is that many of the foods that are available today, or our diet as a whole, particularly here in the states, is just a very high 
starch-based carbohydrate corn syrup diet. So we, the reason protein powder is so popular is it's to balance that out for elite athletes. Uh, fish oil is incredibly popular because most of the fats that we have in our diet now are saturated fats. Uh, probiotics are needed because many of the foods are so processed that it's difficult for us to digest. And because so many of our, our professional athletes are handed, you know, um, antibiotics like like skittles, um, it it damages the gut flora. So we need probiotics to help repopulate the gut. So many of the problems that we use supplements for are man-made, self-made issues. So by you know by changing our diet, there's less of a need for these things. But again, magnesium is another one. Zinc is another uh, very popular uh, supplement that that can be that can be used. But then everything after that is pretty much on an individual basis. And it's not, I should note, not on purely on biomarkers either because um, what people sometimes fail to realize is that simply just because a certain biomarker is low in a blood profile. So for example, um, if you take cramping as an example, well, people say, well, do a sweat test or do a blood test. Well, just because sodium is low does not mean that sodium needs to be replaced. Your body strives for homeostasis. In other words, it strives to survive. Sometimes your body excretes excessive amounts of sodium because it already has too much in order that magnesium, potassium, calcium are balanced out. So people need to be very, very careful when they supplement their diet with salts or or whatever. Because I remember I remember watching one player, I was walking through the cafeteria heading to practice I looked across and he was pouring pure salt, table salt, sodium chloride, which is a poison, into water to shake in a bottle and drink it because he was afraid of cramping. This was a different guy. He was afraid of cramping later on on that really hot day. So, you know, I had to pull him to one side and say, hang on a second. Just it's not it's not just that simple of just adding salt, pure table salt, in fact, to your diet. So these misconceptions, again, it comes down to some, it's what you don't know, you don't know. Oh no, that was an awesome answer to that. I mean, one of the big phrases you hear consistently now is, is recovery and just how important that is for athletes. I mean, what are you having your athletes do to properly recover? So over the years, I've developed what, what I call P4R. And so what would happen, recovery is critical, it's really important. However, the very first the very first question is, where are you starting from? So like that that player who's going out onto the field, before you start practice, what is your pre-covery? In other words, if you have, if you're going to do a very, very heavy weight training session, do you have aminos in your bloodstream or available, or available um, for your bloodstream? Do you have a carbohydrate store? Because that pre-covery determines where you start from. If you don't have now you're, you're going straight into a, or quite quickly going to go into a catabolic situation. So before you do anything, first of all, ask the question or figure out where you're starting from. Uh, that's your pre-covery. And it's, you know, I'm not trying to create another cult or fad or another thing, but it's to make people very aware of where you're starting from. After that, you, you have regeneration. That is your lifestyle basis. So if you've got two athletes competing for the same position, one of them has a very, very healthy lifestyle, Tom Brady or whatever is a healthy lifestyle, um, he is 
going to be in a better position to recover and to capitalize on the practice than somebody who has a, you know, who has a poor lifestyle. So your first one is, is your, your regeneration, your daily, uh, regeneration. What is Greenwich mean time? What is your daily habit? The next thing is what recovery do you do straight after practice or straight after the exercise? And the recovery needs to be specific to what you did. Now, one important point about recovery is that you don't recover the body, you facilitate its recovery. So the body is going to go through, you know, if you've done a weight training session, well, it's going to start to rebuild tissue. It's going to do that anyway, whether you help it or not, but you can facilitate it by providing aminos, by providing protein, by providing carbohydrate and helping it rebuild, but it's going to do it. Don't think that you can speed it up. You can slow it down, or it, but it's going to happen. It's the quality of that recovery. And you feed the body dependent on, on what it did and what it's going to do. Sometimes you don't. Sometimes you allow the body <clears throat> to recover at a slower pace because that's what you want. That's a, a, a longer conversation. Uh, the third one then is uh, restoration. So occasionally you can spike the body by using either cold or hot water as an example to trigger a different response. So sometimes you can delay recovery or you can, uh, um, you can delay recovery if you have to, for example, do two workouts in a row. You can use cold water, so uh, a very extreme cold water that shocks the body, allows you to do a little bit more work, and then you have a longer recovery afterwards. And the very last one then is resilience. The last door is resilience. And this is both a mental and a physical resilience because as you repeatedly recover and practice, you can build a mental resilience, a callus, if you will, to be able to study, to be able to repeatedly perform at a very high level. So it, recovery is, uh, there are a lot of things to consider. You, as far as the athlete's concerned, you keep it very, very simple, but there are a lot of things for you as the coach to consider as you as you put it together for the environment for that player. Oh man, that was an awesome answer. And you mentioned cold recovery. We've had multiple guests talk about that. What's the protocol like if you're going to have your athletes doing a cold tub? How long are they in there for? What's the temperature usually of the water? Oh, I've done, like, I mean, look at if, you, if you're lucky to get, again, what's really, really interesting is it depends on the origin of the athlete because some athletes depending on their mindset and depending on where they've come from, really, really despise cold. So you don't force them into it. If, if they really absolutely despise it, but then I've had other athletes, particularly from Scandinavia, who love it, who get a wonderful response from it and who enjoy it. So you can do anything from three to 18. The most I would ever do is 18 minutes because there's a Huntington effect where the body then s suddenly starts to reverse it it goes into a complete shock and it starts to reverse the effects so you would never do it for any longer than 18 minutes and you would you would only do it on very very high intensity days but again if you're in a period of off-season training you may not do it at all because you need the signal you need the body to have that signal globally the nervous system to have to appreciate the fact that it's been a, through a very very tough session and now it needs to trigger its own ability to respond. Very often using cold water blunts the effect. It allows you to train hard the next day, but it blunts the effect of, of recovery. Very interesting. And I mean, you mentioned a guy like Tom Brady, who's just been doing it for so well for so long now. I mean, are you expecting athletes to have a much longer longevity of their careers based on some of these new technologies, recovery methods they're implementing? I think it's possible, but again, it all comes down to the 
from start to the athlete, um, you know, like a, a Brady, uh, is somebody who, and there are many others, you know, um, who invest the time, uh, and have that mindset and want to do it. Um, but then there are a lot of, a lot of athletes who, who don't, um, want to play that long. And then sports like football, where they're physically demanding, many of them want to play for a shorter period of time in different positions than quarterback want to play for a shorter period of time and, and get out because of, they don't have guaranteed contracts. What is the, the optimal way to facilitate that is that the organization have a culture that does not distinguish between practice uh, and their home life as as greatly or as much as possible. So this the the organizations that care about their players off the field and blend where there's not a where they include the family in the organization more, they tend to, to have a better lifestyle uh, experience for the player and they leave that transition easier. Because think of it like this. If you go to work and it's very confrontational, you don't, uh, you find it uncomfortable and you see this in the corporate environment as well, as opposed to an organization that perhaps has a gym at work, has good food where you, where you can, you're excited to get to work early. Uh, maybe every second week there's a small family event. So you can come to work a little bit earlier. You can work out, you're more relaxed, you're more productive, um, and you look after yourself better, you're happier and you're far more productive. You know your family can come and see you uh, on a Saturday. Some organizations, some teams do it on the day after a game. They invite the families in for tea and coffee and because coaches don't get to spend a lot of time. Those are organizations that you want to work for. Those are organizations you want to work for for a long period of time. Those are organizations that when they ask you to do a little bit more, you will willingly do it. You will meet deadlines. You will work harder at deadlines because you know that that organization looks after you. That is why it's important. Yeah, the culture that's created there is just, it's vital to the success of that organization. I mean, I'm, I'm interested here, how has your training kind of changed or evolved over the past few years? Has it stayed pretty consistent or are there some major changes you've implemented? Oh, it, it's changed and evolved um, greatly over the years. Um, you know, like I said before, I had all the answers when I was 18, 19. Um, I'd, read, <laughs> I'd read books, I'd met experts and gurus. Um, but the older that I get, the more I realize how little I know. Um, but in most recent times, it really... Um, you know, has become about working backwards from the game, working backwards from the event and really studying uh, the event in practice. It's something that, you know, has been adopted by, um, you know, many of the uh, special operations groups as well as, uh, is starting to ignore the, the many of the philosophies that we've had before about the preparation of elite athletes or elite soldiers and really focusing on what is actually happening in combat, what is happening actually on the field, uh, and really studying it, um, really being humble, uh, ignoring biases, and really asking the question: Why were we successful? Why did we fail? Um, but that that starts with going back to those two really critical words: humility and honesty. Where it's nobody's fault, but we're going to really investigate why. Why did we fail on that particular play? Why did we fail on that particular engagement? I mean, you're clearly someone who's constantly studying, constantly reading. Anyone you're looking to, any good books you'd recommend out there for anyone who's more interested in uh, in higher performance? 
Uh, Alex Hutchinson and uh, Brad Stulbert, Steve Magnus have just written some excellent books. Um, but I, uh, I will read anything and, and everything. I read uh, very, very little in sport uh, now because uh, I think, you know, much of what is written, unless it's a, a really, really uh, special book like Endure, Alex Hutchinson is, 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 is one of those groundbreaking, uh, books that, um, that is a little bit different, but really in sport, uh, what, what you don't want to just be someone who just follows the herd. And a lot of what we read today is regurgitated. Um, I'm more interested in reading outside of the box. Um, it allows, I think that allows us to be more creative. It gives us a different perspective on, on what's going on in our own life and in our own environment. And that's what's, what's far more interesting to me because, um, one of the biggest problems that our educational system has, uh, and it's wonderful, but because there, we're all taught, uh, you know, the same modules. Well, as a result, then we're all taught to think the same way. So we all come to the same conclusion because of how we, what we've been taught in university and how we, how we've been taught to think those people that have had the greatest impact on, uh, on life and on society are those who think differently. And it goes back to the Henry Ford quote about, um, if I asked people what they wanted, they would have said a faster horse. <laughs> no, that's exactly why I wanted to have you on your, your breadth of knowledge that you've encapsulated across so many different fields that you use to get the most out of your athletes and the organizations you're involved with. So it's, it's just so fascinating to talk to you and, and hear your perspectives. And I know you mentioned your book earlier. Can you talk a little bit more about that and also where, uh, the listeners can find that? Yeah, so I um, I wrote Game Changer last September with with Phil White, and it's been um, it's been you know I've been humbled by the by the response, um, and I like I said, I don't have all the answers. Um, really, I wanted to write a book that I wanted to write the book that I would have wanted um, to to read as I was coming through in team sport or in business, um, and you know it's really about it is very different because it's the first book that really looks at every aspect of how a team performs from culture, from coaches to right down to the training session. And, uh, and I have another book coming out later on, uh, this summer, which hopefully we can speak about later, which is, uh, called 59 lessons, which are like the very first question you asked me <laughs> of all the different people that I've worked with, what have I learned from? So I've been fortunate to work in soccer and rugby and Australian rules football with um, you know, like I said, military units, the NFL, collegiate football, basketball. And I, you know, there are 59 different lessons that I've learned over the years that, um, I, you know, I just want to share with the next generation coming through. Uh, and because I've been really fortunate to learn from some, you know, wonderful people who were so generous with their time to me, uh, I have a duty to pass that on to the next, uh, to the next generation. Well, we're definitely going to have to get you back on the show when that comes out. But Fergus, I, I can't thank you enough for joining us on What Got You There. I'm going to make sure we get all this linked up in the show notes so they can pick up your book. But thanks again for joining us. Sean, thank you for having me. Humbled. Thank you. Looking to freshen up your wardrobe for the summer season? Having trouble finding a brand whose products are functionally built to move and sweat in, but designed with a casual aesthetic aimed at everyday life? Then Viore is the clothing brand you've been looking for. Viore merges technical clothing with a West Coast vibe that looks and fits great. Viore's motto is built to move in, styled for life. 
They have a new perspective on performance apparel. Viore has incorporated innovative fabrics that feature anti-odor finishes, moisture wicking, and quick dry finishes. My favorite being Sea Cell, which is a sustainably sourced fiber that uses a blend of algae and wood pulp to create the most comfortable shirts you've ever felt. They really are. They're incredible. They're also anti-odor and filled with vitamins and nutrients that are released when you sweat. To receive 25% off, yes, that's 25% off your order, head to vioriclothing.com. That's V-U-O-R-I clothing.com and use discount code W-G-Y-T. If at any point you're unsatisfied with your purchase, send it back. That's 25% off your entire order with a 100% satisfaction guaranteed. VioriClothing.com, discount code WGYT for 25% off your order. If you're like me and love to travel, then listen up. Are you looking to get outside your comfort zone in 2018? Are you tired of the monotony of your 9-to-5 job with no adventure? Do you want to connect with new people on Epic Adventures? If so, then Globekick is what you're looking for. Globekick is redefining travel for the millennial generation. Globekick knows that memorable travel is built on the quality of the experience you have and the people you connect with along the way. That's why their members can choose from curated travel experiences throughout the year with like-minded people. Unlike other travel providers, Globekick members get to know each other through a private social network before choosing when and where they travel together. In 2018, they've teamed up with partners around the world to feature a Sahara Desert camping trip out of Morocco in May, a boating journey through the Sandblast Islands in the Caribbean in August, and a volunteering trip to an elephant sanctuary outside of Cambodia in December. If you want to travel the world with your kind of people and not break the bank, then head to globekick.com and enter WGYT to receive 10% off your membership. That's globekick.com and enter code WGYT to receive 10% off your membership. What got you there with Shonda Laney? Uh, what got you there with Shonda Laney? What got you there with Shonda Laney? Uh, what got you there with got you, got you? Thanks for listening to another episode of What Got You There. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave us a review on iTunes and also share with your friends. Thanks so much. Looking forward to talking with you next time. If you want to stay up to date on all things I'm working on behind the scenes and everything we've got going on at What Got You There, head over to whatgotyouthere.com. You'll also be able to see more on podcast guests and what they're doing. Thanks to Justin Great for providing us the intro and outro song. If you like his music and want to find out more about what he's working on, head over to justingreat.com.